The Athletic. Jude Bellingham is currently one of the most uh, coveted players in Europe, standing out, of course, for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga and the Champions League. And big things will be expected of him if he gets his chance for England at this year's World Cup. And the battle to sign him, it feels like, is already underway. So what is Dortmund's stance? Which clubs are most likely to sign him? And what is it about Bellingham that makes him so good? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Hey, Jude, don't make it. Marco Royce is deflected and in is Jude Bellingham. For me, it's all about the feeling that I get from the people and the ambition. People bring up money and all that rubbish, but I wouldn't play for a club that I genuinely didn't fall in love with. You know, I, I felt a strong connection with the people at Dortmund. They told me, you know, if you come here, we'll develop you, you'll get game time and, and you'll be an international in two years. So with us for this one, uh, The Athletic's Rafa Honigstein, who covers German football for us. We've got Jack Pickbrook, who covers England, uh, and James Pearce, our Liverpool writer, who's written a big old read on the battle for Bellingham. And I suppose, uh, James, the fact that you are on is a a clue to who we think are the favourites to sign him, domestically at least. Would that be fair? I think certainly the club you'd say have the greatest need and and certainly probably I don't think anyone admires him more than than Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool's recruitment staff who who view Jude Bellingham as the, the complete box-to-box midfielder and I think when you also when you look at what's coming up on the horizon with Liverpool's midfield needing a, a major revamp in 2023 when you've got a situation with Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Milner all out of contract I think that is why Liverpool's interest is so strong but I think the caveat to that is they also know that they will have some serious competition for his signature. Although I particularly liked Raf's smile as I asked that question to James, which sort of indicated, oh, there they go, the arrogant English thinking <laughs> that he'll leave Dortmund at the end of this season. I wouldn't go that far. I think Dortmund are, <laughs> are, uh, are not stupid. They are aware that Jude Bellingham is probably not going to end up uh, a Dortmund legend with 500 Bundesliga games. But there is a degree of confidence when you talk to them that this is not a foregone conclusion. I think they've been in very close contact with the with the parents and with Jude himself, and they haven't received any indication that they're desperate to leave. I think it's a little bit different to the Jaden Sancho situation where everyone knew that he was off. In the end, it was almost a surprise that he stayed that extra year because I don't think they could agree a fee with Man United at the time. I think now there is still the assumption that he's more likely to go than not, but there's a sizable possibility in their mind that he might be able to, that they might be able to extend with him. Of course, the World Cup complicates things because if he has a fantastic World Cup, and I think there's every chance he'll be he'll be a starter and be very good for England it might make it more difficult for Dortmund then to persuade him to just to, to basically say, you know, don't go too early. You're not quite ready. Make sure that you go to England as a fully formed player. If he, as he has done throughout his career, kind of supercharges that progress and that development, they might not be able to keep it. I think that, that, that point we should do before, before we come on to England really, which is, as I'm sure most listeners know, Borussia Dortmund seem to always 
sell the player at the right time when it suits everybody in the main, unless it's Bayern Munich coming for them, maybe. I, I, I don't know. So, but, but they seem to have grown-up conversations with their players. Would that be fair when it comes to development and how long they should stay? Yeah, some players are more amenable to that than others. I think negotiations with Mino Raiola for Erling Haaland weren't that easy. Um, this is slightly different. Also, as an aside, Bayern Munich haven't bought any Dortmund players in seven years now. Some people in Munich wish that they might have in the meantime, because there were certainly some really good players. Um, I think in this case, throughout this day, Dortmund have always stressed how impressed they are with both him and the family when it comes to the maturity of dealing with the situation, when it comes to having a very clear idea of what they're trying to do with him. There's never been a danger of him losing his head or the parents being you know persuaded by agents to do something that is not right for the players it's been for the players it's been from the very first moment that he got through the door a very collaborative effort that's why i think there is there is that slight hope still i think under normal circumstances we probably have would have reached a point where dortmund feel okay two years to go a world cup coming up he's playing better every week that's probably the end. He's an English player who wants to go back to England. That's fair enough. That's almost kind of baked into the, the deal in the first place, that he goes to Dortmund to learn how to play, to raise his profile, to become a, a really rounded player, and then he moves on. But they're still hoping that the story might not be over just yet. Yes or no from each of you, and then we'll do a longer answer with Jack. Do you think he will be a star at this World Cup? Raf? Yes. James? 100%, yeah. Jack? Well, I'm not entirely sure that he's going to start for England. Now, oh, now that was going to be how I was going to do it. And you've Sorry, ruined Jack it because was... I was going to see whether you said yes or no. And then I was going to say, but will he start? <laughs> because there's no there's no evidence that he is a first name on that England team sheet at the moment from Southgate. It may come, but the evidence isn't there yet, is it? The, the only person who's guaranteed to start in central midfield for England is Declan Rice. So I think it will be Declan Rice and either, well, depending on the system, if it's a 3-4-3, which I think it probably will be, it'll be Rice plus one. Or maybe he'll play a 4-3-3, so it'll be Rice plus two number eights. But I, you know, Calvin Phillips, who's obviously played alongside Rice during the Euros, is struggling with injury, hasn't really made any impression at Manchester City so far, had a diff- very difficult season last year. So I think Phillips' chances look to be receding. And now it might it might well be that Southgate will decide to pair Rice with Bellingham in the middle, or maybe he might try and bring back Jordan Henderson if Henderson's fit enough. I think you know it's the the difference in experience between Bellingham and Henderson is almost incomparable. And while Bellingham is obviously you know there's no question about how talented Bellingham is, he's not he's not really put in the kind of performances for England yet that he has done for Borussia Dortmund. So. I, I don't think it's. I think it's not certain that Bellingham will be starting. If anyone can stop Bellingham from becoming a star, it is certainly Gareth Southgate uh, at this <laughs> at this World Cup. Uh, I agree with you, Jack. Uh, I, I hope that Bellingham will get the next couple of games to stake his claim and to show that in what is a problem area for for England, certainly in terms of depth. I think the time is right to at least give him a chance. I agree with you, but I think the issue is that. Belling in the the in the June Nations League camp, Bellingham started both defeats to Hungary, uh, the one 0 defeat away, and then the four 0 defeat at home at Molyneux 
which obviously went really, really badly for Southgate. And I, my sense after those games is that Southgate thought maybe we didn't have quite enough experience out on the pitch. And I, I feel that those those two hungry defeats are going to push Southgate into a more, I mean, people are going to laugh at this, into a more conservative direction heading into Qatar. Um, and so I, I feel like Bellingham's chances of starting in Qatar probably decreased in June. Yeah, important to, to point out for those that uh, listen to the podcast and don't look at social media clips that both James and Raf did laugh when uh, when Jack said people are going to laugh at this. <laughs> I feel, James, and Jack can come in as well here, but I feel like here we go again with a with a bright young England talent that probably has the most spotlight on him out of those bright young England talents and the clamour for him to play. And, you know, it could be Rooney, it could be Owen. I'm sure other people will throw other names in there. But I here we, here we go again in the build-up to a tournament. Player X has to play. Yeah, it, it does feel that way. Although I, I must admit, the more I see at Bellingham, the, the more I just think, it, it, I don't think you could accuse anyone of hyping it beyond his, his talents. I think, you know, when you look at, where he's at for such a young player, you know, what was it? His hundredth competitive appearance for Dortmund last weekend, still only 19. You look at the way in which he he lit up that Champions League game at, at the Etihad last week. You know, we we are talking about what you know a, a very, very special player who, you know, I think has got the temperament and, and the mentality to go with it. I think when you speak to people that have coached him and worked with him previously, you know, they always talk about the same things, you know, his maturity, you know, his, his application, how he's a quick learner. And it's, it's no great surprise, is it, that pretty much every major English team and, and, and Real Madrid thrown into the mix, uh, keeping a very close, close eye on the situation. Jack, I mean, it is here we go again, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it is. But then, you know, I think there are other, frankly, I think there are other players who are older than Bellingham, who are yet to fully establish and who are, in roughly the same bracket as Bellingham, who are yet who are themselves yet to establish themselves in the team. Phil Foden. I don't think it's obvious that Southgate really knows what to do with Foden. I don't think he knows what Foden's best position is. I think we're still waiting to see Foden really play well for Southgate's England. Foden's three years older than Bellingham. Sancho, similarly, three years older than Bellingham. Uh, obviously a brilliantly talented player. I don't think has... I mean, he actually played better bef- before COVID for England and then played a li- little bit in the Euros is now out of the picture. So I think there are other, you know, I know, of course, people are going to be impatient and say Bellingham's got to be in the squad now. But, you know, I imagine, you know, Foden and Sancho are probably thinking, well, you know, when are we going to become guaranteed starters? And then, so it's not, you know, these things often take longer than people want them to take. Is it unique to England, Raph? No, I don't think so. Um, I think because of Gareth Southgate's handling of the Euros and ultimately coming short, at least certainly in my view, I don't know what the, sort of the received wisdom is about how this campaign went. I thought it was a a terrible lost opportunity. I think people will will be more encouraged sort of to feel that they should press the claim of certain players that Southgate, because of his conservative nature, because of his risk-averse management style, is, is overlooking certain players. With Bellingham, though, I think it goes beyond that because it's hard to watch a guy who does so much at this age, who is the first name on the team sheet for Borussia Dortmund, and think that there shouldn't be a place somewhere in in an England starting eleven for him. And again, I I repeat, I think England's midfield has been perfectly serviceable, but low on real star quality. 
central midfield I'm talking about. And again, I think that that just increases the claim. If he's going into uh, an England midfield with Lampard, Jarrod and, and Beckham and Owen Hargreaves, it'd be a very different situation. But it feels almost to me as an outsider that there is there is a Bellingham-shaped space in that central midfield, and there should be. What sort of balance in midfield do you think best suits Bellingham, Rafa? And do you think, would it be in a two alongside Rice, or would it be pushed further forward in a three with somebody else holding, or what? My view is, is quite simple, because I'm not a manager. I always think that uh, players play better in numbers. I think centre-backs always look better when there's three. Midfielders always look better when there's three. Forwards always look better when there's two, or at least three. And I think it's the same case. Um, I think in a two, it becomes a lot harder, the pressure on, on each player. And he is not a, a pure defensive player, neither is Declan Rice. So then you immediately get into, well, I have to bring up those names again, uh, or maybe I don't have to, but you then get into this argument of who's holding, who's staying. Um, if it's a three, I think it's a, it's more natural to his game. But then who is that number six? Who is that guy who's, who would just sit? And how does that affect what happens further up the pitch? Because I think Harry Kane, who's come back very strongly, probably is not your centre forward who wants to play with two wide players and nothing behind him. So it is it is really tricky. Uh, if you're just trying to accommodate Bellingham, then I think playing him as one of the eights would be absolutely fantastic because he can be almost a number 10 at times going forward, going making those wide runs, um, really helping the attack. But someone's at least one, if not two people, have to be behind him. Were Dortmund surprised by the player they got or uh, how he developed as quickly as he did with them? It's definitely the latter. I remember having that conversation of saying, well, you know, we give him time. We won't make to put too much pressure on him. Little by little, he'll get a bit more game time. But the, game, the guy basically starts straight away and then becomes a regular straight away and then becomes almost sort of the, the captain of the side in terms of his importance and presence. And every step along the way, he is overachieving and he's quicker than, than people think he is. And, and this is not this is not a guy sort of hurt, hitting a purple patch and sort of everything works for him. This is all hard work and, and an ability and willingness to learn. From the beginning, they were talking about the fact that he put himself in the dressing room next to the most experienced players, not with the youngsters. He wanted to learn from them, wanted to see how they're getting dressed, what they're doing before a game, how they react to defeat, how they react to win. Always sort of soaking up information and... You can see a lot of that on the pitch. You can see how every game, in the words of uh, Otto Addo, the assistant coach, he he seems to do what others do sort of in six months. He's, he he does it in, in a couple of weeks' time in terms of just feeding in um, information and, and making sure that he, he learns from his, his own mistakes, but also from the stuff he does well and exceedingly well, uh, most of it. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. This 200-episode voyage into the true soul of football has so far raised such vital questions as what exactly is a half-chance? How do you get hired as a pundit on B in Sports? 
Why do we still applaud a simple header back to a goalkeeper? What exactly is included in a footballer's proverbial scrapbook? What happened to stanchions? How many goals ahead did the underdogs need to be to constitute dreamland? And what's the classiest of all the classy touches? And we won't be hanging up our microphones for the World Cup either. Football cliches will be going strong throughout the tournament, and we're still looking for the third and final piece of original punditry audio from the intro to Badil and Skinner's Three Lions. And if that wasn't enough, come and see us in the flesh on the Football Clichés live tour of London, Manchester and Dublin in November. It'll be the most pedantic footballing night of your lives. Football Clichés, the football podcast you never thought you needed, out twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts from The Athletic. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's look at the um, the battle for him then, James. And there was already before he even went to Dortmund. I mean, Manchester United watched him 46 times since the age of 12. And the message that kept coming back was, sign him, sign him, sign him. Uh, and then they didn't want to pay. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, you could you go back beyond that, really. I mean, he, I mean obviously, he obviously signed signed for Birmingham when he was under eights. And at the age of 11, that, that's where Liverpool's interest kind of stems back to. He, he, he spent a few days at the Kirby Academy then and Liverpool were desperate to bring him on board, obviously would have involved his family relocating from the Midlands to the Northwest and him going to school at, at Rainhill High School near to near to where the Kirby Academy is. But, and Liverpool were, were, were gutted that, um, you know, after a, a couple of days there, his, his, his family decided to, 
to stay put. And then, um, you know, that was, and then, then you're right. Yeah. You know, at the age of what, 15, 16, when with Birmingham's blessing, you know, they obviously had well documented financial issues at the time. They knew that they were going to lose him in the near future. And certainly I think, yeah, when he went to Dortmund United were the, probably the, the, the biggest other option I think on the table in terms of the amount of groundwork they put into it, which I think has to be factored into the race currently. Yeah, he was shown around Carrington, but yeah, there were some doubts. I think there's you know certainly figures at United feel like they could have done more in terms of um, you know really pushing the boat out, maybe financially to to try and to try and uh, to to get to get him on board. But you know, I think the other side of that is you know you, I think his parents, Mark and Denise, who are you know have always you know, carefully guided his career and continue to do so to this day. You know, I think they also, you know, forgetting the financial side, they felt that Germany was the the best step for his development because, you know, I think what they what they wanted more than anything was a uh, was guarantees over over playing time and opportunities that would follow. And you know, you'd have to say that it's turned out to be a very shrewd next step for him. Uh, absolutely, because there there is no guarantee. I mean, Chelsea were in for him as well, Jack, but with both United and Chelsea, there would be absolutely no guarantee that if he had gone there, either of those clubs would be seeing the Jude Bellingham that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think Dortmund is probably the probably the best club in the world for you for making that final development step for a very talented young player. Um you know, it's no, it's no surprise why keep good players keep going there. And I, I'm sure you're right to say he wouldn't have been as good if he'd gone into the mess that Manchester United have been for the last few years. I think it also helped that, as much as Dortmund are a huge club, and uh, of course there's a lot of spotlights on them in, in Germany, you're still slightly under the radar as far as England is concerned. I mean, they will recognise you. In the big games, uh, Southgate might come over when they're playing Bayern Munich. You see them in the Champions League. But on a day-to-day basis, you can basically develop as a young English player almost in peace. The local media is very football-orientated. You won't get anyone taking photos of you, doing the wrong thing. I don't think Bellingham is the type for that anyway. But just generally speaking, you are being left alone to a certain extent. And again, I think for a young English player to almost leave that hype behind or park that hype a little bit is is really beneficial. You mentioned his parents, James, and uh, when when putting the article together here, you can throw out the, the usual suspects as, as we have done a little bit already, and we'll expand on that. But given his career path so far, as you say, not, not going to Liverpool and staying with his local side, but then being very open about where he was going to move next with his parents at 15, 16. And that sounds like quite a grown-up relationship with Birmingham and that they were very open and, and how they talked about it. Do you think actually behind the scenes, there may be an option that would surprise us all, given that they always seem to do what's, be- what's best? And that isn't always the case in football. I think the only issue with that would be the you know who else could possibly live up to the financial side of of trying making this a reality because I think I think the numbers involved you know automatically rule out uh, you know a, a lot of clubs you to know, buy, to buy him to, to buy, buy him, him. not yeah. what he would ask for but to buy him yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I think I think I think you know you know even. What is he down? He'll be down to the last two years of his his current deal next summer, which clearly looks like you know the the kind of first 
available opportunity really for his array of suitors to kind of firm up that interest in him. Um, but you know, you know, the Dortmund value him at around 150 million euros. So what was that? 130 million pounds. And, you know, the, that's why I think I'd, I'd be amazed if we saw anyone else, you know, I think probably only PSG in world football, you'd say could, could potentially come up with that kind of cash apart from, you know, the, the ones we've mentioned, you know, Real Madrid, United City, Chelsea and Liverpool. And even, you know, that, that, that's why I think when you speak to people at Liverpool, the, you know, the, the, the caveat is, will the numbers get too big? You know, will, will it, will it reach a point where you just go, well, hang on a minute, you know, the, d- despite his huge potential and despite the fact, you know, you know, I think Liverpool look upon him as someone who could, you know, could be at the absolute heart of that midfield for the next decade. Um, you know, it's a it's a long-term investment, but you know, the, the numbers still could get crazy, especially when you factor in the wages. Barcelona might find another lever. You never know. <laughs> uh, on the um on the uh where does Champions League football fit fit into this then? With say within the first season? Yeah, well I, th- I don't I, I I can't imagine he would he would go anywhere that, that, that doesn't that doesn't guarantee that. So um, that, that's where I think when you when you look at it, the situation at the moment, there is I, I don't think there is a any clear you know kind of pathway at the moment in terms of well you know it, it, it's looking increasingly likely he'll go to to, to 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 that place because I think there's so much up in the air. You know, you look at the issues that Jurgen Klopp is grappling with at, at Liverpool. Currently, you know, you look at, you know, United, you know, are they, you know, they, there's, there's obviously promising signs under Ten Hag that, that you know, are, are they going to be back amongst Europe's elite next season? You know, Chelsea again, you know, you know obviously a, a lot of change there. What kind of position are they going to be in next summer? Um, you know, we know the, the pulling power of City and I thought it was telling that Pep Guardiola, you know, eulogised about him after that game at the Etihad last week, described him as, as exceptional and um you know and then you know you factor in real madrid as well i know there was a, a bellingham quote recently about you know his his adoration for zinedine zidane and now he spends a lot of his time watching clips of of him and you know on the face of it you look at real madrid and you think well you know do they have quite the the, the same need as some of the others when you look at you know how youthful and dynamic and vibrant their midfield is currently um but of course um you know luka modric can't go on forever what happens if both Arsenal and Tottenham make the Champions League for ne- for next season, Jack? I can't see either of them being in the mix, to be honest. I just think that it's just not consistent with their policy to spend what would be a nine-figure sum on a player. It's not something that either of them have ever done. Uh, and I imagine that Bellingham would probably rather go to a team that is you know, routinely winning and challenging for titles and the Champions League. Where do you think he would look, Raph? And we're speculating here, but... Impossible to, to know. I think the fact that he came close to moving to United once gives them a good chance to to make it happen. Liverpool, as James has said, looks like a very good fit. The question is, can they pay the Dortmund premium? Because we shouldn't forget that there is still a two, two and a half year deal here. Dortmund... I don't think we'll keep playing against his wishes, but they want to make sure that any compensation will not just replace him, but actually strengthen the team maybe in two or three positions. So that brings us to a sum 
well, well, well beyond the 100 million euros. 150 has been mentioned. I think Dortmund would love to achieve that. Whether that is realistic, I'm not sure. But then it makes it difficult, I think, for Liverpool, even if they have an agreement, or if they get an agreement with the player, we're getting into a situation where I think the fee might be prohibitive. And then it's going to be interesting what will happen because... Dortmund are not stupid. They know that next year he will be will be cheaper with having only one year left. But how cheap, how much cheaper and will they just wait until somebody else comes around and, and pay that money? I mean, it's going to be really interesting, I think, what's going to happen. Um, I would I would think around about maybe February, March, when when these kind of moves tend to get serious should be should be interesting and because of because of the financial implications of such a move i think it's very difficult to to predict that he's going to go to club a or b because whoever will take him it is a serious outlay i mean we're talking about sort of the most important the most expensive player i think that any club has bought in recent years so it's going to be it's not going to be straightforward did you reach a conclusion at the end of the article, James? <laughs> um, not a definitive one. No, only that um, it will take some very deep pockets and a, and a very compelling PowerPoint presentation to, to win the day. Um, I think, as Rafa said, I just think it's too far out at the moment to, to, to make any kind of bold predictions on, on where this will end. I think all we do know is it's, it's going to be absolutely intriguing. And from a Liverpool perspective, we know that one of the reasons why they were reluctant to, to kind of throw money at their, their midfield this summer was that, you know, they, their, their, their targets that they really wanted weren't available. Um, and Bellingham certainly fits into that category. You know, I was there when Klopp was asked just before the pre-season tour of Asia, you know, about the, the speculation they could have Bellingham. And he said, well, the problem is he's not on the market. Well, well, actually, that is the only problem with him. Which um, and he gave you one of those wry smiles that that told you everything you needed to know about his admiration for him. But um, you know, and certainly, you know, Klopp's track record of developing young players, and you know, you've got the other factors like you know the, the bond that Bellingham has with Jordan Henderson from England duty. You know the um, you know the, the way that he grew up idolizing. Uh, a legendary Liverpool figure like Steven Gerrard, but you know, despite all of that, um, you know, as Rafa said, you know, it, it, you know, ultimately it will come down to the numbers and whether Liverpool can make that work. I just wonder what Bellingham will think about Liverpool's succession planning and whether or not Liverpool are heading up, up upwards or downwards. Because you know, James obviously knows more about much more about Liverpool than I do, but. Watching Liverpool at times this season, that you know, you wonder if they're a team that have peaked, if they're a team in decline. The team that haven't really managed the kind of succession planning especially well in the last few years. And if Belling- I wonder whether, and this is pure speculation on my part, whether Bellingham might think, well, if I join Liverpool in 2023, would I be joining a club moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a very fair point to make at the moment. And I, and I think that, that that's why it, it is just too far out to be making those predictions, because I think we'll be a lot wiser on which direction Liverpool are heading in, you know, probably before the World Cup, certainly, certainly by the end of the, the season. I think, you know, there's certainly an array of mitigating circumstances why Liverpool have have performed so poorly up to this point this season, you know, with you know the you know the factors of the 
you know, the, probably the physical and the mental hangover from the demands of last season, you know, not doing enough in the transfer market this summer, which has been, you know, compounded by all the injury issues. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt that to, to make Liverpool the most attractive proposition to Bellingham, they, they, they need to, to raise the bar significantly in the next few months to prove to him that, you know, this is just a blip and that, you know, that, you know, all the doom and gloom merchants saying that, you know, have this team already peaked and they're going down the hill and they're a declining force is, 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 is actually, you know, not correct. If you haven't already, you can subscribe now to The Athletic and read James's piece on Bellingham in full. Just pay a pound a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.